Most of us did not go to school for entrepreneurship. It was learned and it was often learned on the job. So you can take someone who has maybe the right mindset or maybe the right attitude or the willingness to learn and grow and really shape and mold them into somebody who's going to be able to really support your organization. One of the biggest challenges many businesses today face is how to hire the right people. In the aftermath of the Great Resignation, ongoing talent shortages and shifting job seeker expectations have left many companies desperate for employees. I'm Alex Freeman, and on today's podcast episode, I'm talking to Jessica Miller-Merrill, founder of Workology, which helps HR and business leaders find and hire impactful talent. She's here to share her insights from more than 15 years as a talent acquisition expert and help our listeners improve their hiring process to build a better team. Let's get to the conversation. Jessica, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to answer all your questions today. Wonderful. So to get things started, can you just tell us more about Workology, what the company does and why you got it started? Workology is a destination for training resources, information and support for human resources managers and recruiting leaders. I started it 15 years ago as a blog. So it was really a job search blog that became a business. And uh, it's really evolved into a great place for HR to kind of get just access to reliable information and training in sometimes real time. Incredible. Can you give us a bit of an, and I'm, I'm sure this is a massive question that I'm posing to you. So, um, you know, we can keep it pretty high level, but how hiring and the talent market has shifted in the 15 years since you started Workology? Well, it's a lot less different. I mean, there was no LinkedIn. Social media was not really a thing. When I first started in HR and recruiting, I was, as far as I know, the first person to successfully use dating websites in 2001 for sourcing and recruiting talent because everything is a database and there was no social media. I mean, traditionally paper applications, electronic applications were still a relatively new process when I first started in human resources. And here we are where really we're all working for the most part, a lot of us are remotely and or using electronics in our everyday lives. You can't imagine uh, an inter-office memo in a manila envelope. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Those of you that do, you feel my pain. Now that we have all of these kind of networks and various hiring platforms, what are some of those most consistent platforms that one should be using to find highly qualified applicants? I think it really depends on the type of talent that you're looking for. And I think a great place for you to start if you have done some hiring in the last six months is to ask your most recent applicants where they, number one, are spending them t- their time for themselves, like for pleasure, for fun. And then number two, where are they spending their time online to look for a job when they were looking for work? So you might think like LinkedIn might be something. Maybe they're really active in a like a local community Facebook group. There's one here in Austin that's called Austin Digital Jobs that has over 60,000 members. It's a great place to recruit talent, but you would know that unless you asked your recent hires. I think there are a lot of really good job boards that you should consider too. If you're looking at hourly workers, Indeed is kind of a standard place for you to go to be able to get access and post your job and, and even be able to interview candidates. It really just depends on your vertical the type of person you're looking for, and your company size. Are they salaried? Are they hourly? 
There's been a lot of talk in many news shows and podcasts and just within a lot of industries about challenges in hiring. What are some of the biggest challenges that businesses are facing and how should they be thinking about overcoming those challenges? Well, I think quality of candidates are a challenge. We're either getting not enough and they're not the right people or we're getting too many and then we're overwhelmed. So I think quality is the biggest challenge. And that really starts with you understanding the kind of person that you need and being as transparent as possible about what you're hiring for, including salary ranges, which candidates are asking for this more and more. And depending upon the state that you're in, there are states that are now requiring you to include that information and or there are tools or technologies like Indeed, who if you don't provide it, they will make assumptions based on other jobs for you. So quality is probably the the biggest challenge, I think, for business owners and uh, managers today. And for those that aren't finding the right pool of applicants that are maybe not getting enough of the applicants, what are those areas that are having a particularly hard time filling positions right now? Like what industries and types of position? Right now, it's such a weird time. It's always a weird time, but especially now is you have some industries that are just going crazy. Tech is still growing strong, even though you're hearing a lot of changes or layoffs, reorganizations in the news. People are redistributing where their workers are. And that tends to get lost in the translation and media. But seasonal hiring is really going strong. Logistics and healthcare are two industries that are, I mean, they were healthcare was already a challenge. Now it's even more so with people making a lot of life decisions. Uh, The last industry is education, teachers, even my daughter's a virtual school where kids and parents and students and teachers are working virtually still has openings for positions. So it's a tough market for a number of industries right now. And what advice do you have? What's that number one piece of advice to attract top talent in the tight labor market? I think you want to make your job hiring process as short as possible and as transparent as possible. So if you're a startup and you don't have maybe fancy benefits, don't advertise all these things or just be upfront. Like this is a learning opportunity for you. You're going to wear many hats. Some people want those kind of experiences so that you don't waste your time as a business owner, manager, leader interviewing, talking to the wrong people. You want to talk to the right people first because our time is precious and certainly the candidate's time is too. What do you think is one of the biggest barriers to transparencies for a business owner? Because I know that a lot of them don't like revealing salary ranges. They don't like talking about some of that stuff. What is that barrier and how do they get, get past it? Well, I think you just want to put yourself in the candidate's shoes and also think about yourself. Would you walk into a sales meeting not knowing or not asking for the budget? Which when we're doing consulting and training, I do always ask like, do you have a budget for this? Can you kind of give me a range? It's the same thing. So if you don't like being in those meetings, I don't, where they're like, oh, we have no budget. It's totally open. The sky's the limit. That doesn't tell me anything. Your candidates are the same way. So just give them a range. It doesn't mean if you say it's going to be $17 to $25 an hour that everybody is going to expect $25, but at least they can help plan their lives because if they really need 
$30 an hour, you don't want to spend two hours of your time talking with that candidate. They don't want to spend two hours of their time. They could be talking to another employer that's in their salary range. So it's really about control and transparency. And I know things those are hard things for business owners because I'm one of those. It's hard to let go. It's hard to pull your fingers away from being in control of every little thing when it comes to your business. And you've made mention of, of some that I, you may repeat here, but I'm also curious about the common hiring mistakes that businesses are making and, and what they should be doing to avoid making those mistakes. I think that you want to have a clear plan or process. So just like contract, like negotiations or sales, there's a process, right? So hiring should have a process. I would love for all of you to have an applicant tracking system, some something for somewhere to the candidates to go and apply, whether it's through an Indeed or someone else or through a applicant tracking system in the space to help organize it so that you're not just receiving like attachments that are going to get lost or spreadsheets or just information in your email inbox. Number two is you need to have a plan in the process that includes standard interview questions. The number of hiring manager business owners that I've been interviews in interviews in my own career where I was interviewing for jobs as like the VP of HR or some role where they asked me a legal job interview questions it was so egregious. And I have said in a number of interviews where I've said the reason you need an HR person is because this question that you just asked is an illegal interview question. Like you need some training in this area. Thankfully, I didn't get the job, but those are areas I think definitely for business owners to think about. And then you also need to be realistic with the timeline. I think that right now you can't afford not to move quickly. So after you have that first interview, you need to be following up with people in a couple of days. And that means sending them a text or giving them a call to let them know the status of what's going on because good people, they have options. And when you're a small business, yes, there's more autonomy, but sometimes people are attracted to that really fancy salary and all those crazy perks at some of your larger competitors are offering. Could you give us a, a quick sense of what an illegal interview question is? And so that, uh, you know, some of our listeners can maybe go through their own interview processes and and say, oh, I, I should not be asking this. Yes, I actually have a blog over on Workology. If you search illegal interview questions, you'll get a whole list. But the most common one that I've gotten is, do you have kids? Which, yes, I do. It doesn't keep me from being able to do my job effectively. And the other one is, how old are you? And as a high performing HR leader, I got that a lot where they would ask for five years of experience and I would come into the interview with five years of experience, but I might only be 25, 22 years old because I owned a business when I was really young. But the things that you're asking for, if I started early, I would have had, and those are red flags for me. And and in fact, I'm happy when employers do that because it says to me as a candidate, that's not the job that I want. Quick note for our listeners, if you're looking for tips on other aspects of running a business, you can also check out the Upflip blog for how-to guides and other helpful information. Jessica, can you tell me the difference between a passive and an active job seeker? And what are some strategies to connect with and attract passive candidates? Yeah. So a passive candidate is somebody who's not actively looking for work. They're not applying for a job. They might be, I think somebody maybe that you met at a networking event or you've worked with at a competitor or maybe with a client even who you think would be a good fit for your team. I like to call on those people and reach out to them all the time. In fact, I love recruiting passive candidates because in a way you have a bench for openings when they come open for you. Active candidates are those people who are actively looking for work. They are interviewing 
interviewing. They are looking for work. They are applying for jobs. And when you post a job posting, you're really appealing to the active candidate. But there might be some passive candidates who, you know, they're kind of content in their work, or maybe they just aren't super interested in actively looking for a job right now. But that doesn't mean they wouldn't be interested in an opportunity with you. And what about so-called uh, hidden candidates? What are what are those and how can businesses connect with and attract individuals from these groups? When I think of hidden candidates, I think it's a couple groups. The passive candidate group or maybe non-traditional workers would be hidden. So like maybe moms who are returning the workforce or people who have a disability or groups that in the past employers might not have called upon or looked at maybe offering like apprenticeship program for veterans or something like that. You can find kind of these hidden pockets of people. And with a little bit of training and support, you can take great non-traditional individuals with just kind of crazy backgrounds. I mean, think about your background as a business owner. Most of us did not go to school for entrepreneurship. It was learned and it was often learned on the job. So you can take someone who has maybe the right mindset or maybe the right attitude or the willingness to learn and grow and really shape and mold them into somebody who's going to be able to really support your organization. So think about non-traditional groups of people in different places. I'll give you one quick example. I used to do a lot of recruiting in the inside and outside sales business. So we had a call center for one of the clients that I supported and it's hard to get people to sit into cubicle. But I found a lot of success with a hidden group of talent, which was fundraisers and nonprofits. And so we would reach out to them. They wanted the, the regularity of the salary and they were already doing selling. They just weren't thinking of it in the same way. And we had a lot of success with that kind of hidden group of people coming in and working on phones and uh, in inside sales positions. Moving from the recruiting process for a second, I'm curious, obviously, you know, you're recruiting somebody to a job. And so what are some of the main things that candidates are looking for from their job today? And what can companies do to meet those demands in an effort to attract the top talent? Across the board, and this is a complete generalization, but people are looking for flexibility. They're looking for growth opportunities. Salary isn't as important, but it is still is important in terms of having a livable wage. I like the idea of flexibility because if you can, if somebody's coming into an office even, or if they can work autonomously, which means outside of regular business hours, they have a more flexibility. So they're going to stay with you. Maybe they might earn a little bit less, but they won't have to have like the regular strains or the commutes on the business. So for the younger generation, uh, and I'm talking about like the Gen Z group, they are looking for growth opportunities. They want the ability to learn and grow. So if you can offer them that in your small business, that could be a real advantage. And I have sold that in my own company. I open the curtain and I will bring in entrepreneurs who want to learn how to run a digital business and I will show them everything. So it's almost like an internship that they're getting where they can see the real behind the business. And I'm able to attract really great people to my company for those reasons. How important is developing something like a talent funnel? Like we obviously have talked about, we talk about sales funnels all the time to bring in customers, but is there a talent equivalent for businesses that they should be developing? Yes. And I will say if you are doing a lot of hiring around a specific position. So the reason I started my blog in 2005 is because 
I kept experiencing where every quarter they would move a bunch of business into the division that I supported and then talent expectations would change and they would expect that I needed to hire, that I would hire 2,500 people and I would do it immediately. That's not realistic when you think about things like applicant to hire ratios, or even like applicant to interview ratios. If I know that for every hire, I'm going to need 20 candidates, and I am hiring for 2000 people, this tells you just like in sales, the number of qualified candidates that I'm going to need to actually come through my funnel. So if you are doing a lot of hiring, let's say it's restaurant or hospitality, you have to think about a funnel. So I would always keep things open and even just do something simple like text in to hear about job openings so that when you do have that opening, or maybe you're opening a new location, new location or something's changing, you can start to really promote that funnel and qualify people. There's a lot of other ways uh, to use your funnel, referrals, even having an alumni network where you can continue to pay those alumni for maybe candidates that they bring in through referrals. There's a lot of different ways to look at this, but talent funnels are incredibly important. If you're hiring a lot or you're anticipating maybe a large infusion of cash or something changing where headcount is going to shift. I do also want to ask about employee referral programs. Is that a good way to hire strong candidates? And what are some of the pros and cons of referral programs and referred applicants? So I'll start with the cons. The cons could be that you get the same type of people. And when I mean the same, same background, same experience, same education, maybe same ethnicity, uh, those kind of things. So it's not always the best program for diversity. But those candidates tend to have a better idea, in my experience, of what the job is going to entail, and they stick around for longer, and that's called retention. Uh, So your turnover numbers are lower when you use employee referral programs. I would encourage you to incentivize your employees through referral programs. I like to do things where I'll pay them a certain amount, let's say $200 on day one, and then after that person's 90th day, I'll do another $200 payout. It's a great way to help drive retention. So that person just isn't in it for the money in terms of referring people, but they want those people to stay through at least that initial period. And how does social media factor into recruiting candidates? How can businesses be utilizing their social media to attract more or better applicants? The most interesting thing I'm seeing right now is TikTok. Honestly, TikTok is great for talking about your culture. Uh, One of my favorites is the company Chili Piper, and they're completely remote. And so they do a really great job of highlighting those benefits and perks of being a remote only company. And then they will showcase employees on vacation in Europe or different places that work for their organization. And the number of candidates that Chili Piper has gotten using this strategy with no budget is phenomenal. So I would encourage you to, again, ask your candidates or recent hires where they spend their time. And this is socially online. And think about if the type of person or the type of candidate pool is already there on TikTok or Reels, or they happen to be in a Facebook group or something, focus your efforts on there. Sometimes you can just go into a Facebook group and post your job opening and you'll get all the candidates you need. I have had success that way. It doesn't always work that way. But if you do the right research and ask the right questions and really think about who you want in terms of applying for the role, then you can use social media effectively that way. 
for a, a solo entrepreneur, what are some of the signs that it's time to hire help and build out a team? Like in, in your in your case, how long was Workology in business before you hired your first employees? Well, I'm trying to think here. Uh, a couple years, and I hired an intern, and I did it off of Twitter. So I used to run a tr- Twitter chat called Job Hunt Chat. It's still in existence. They, I think they're every Monday night, every Monday or Sunday night evening here in the States. And I found someone from Twitter and I didn't know I needed them as much as I needed them. I just knew that I was working a lot. But a lot of times you are so involved in the day-to-day as a business owner that you really forget that the best use of you is actually in those strategic level conversations and decisions. For example, I'm thinking about my business planning for 2023 right now. I have my list. I'm going offsite for four days next week and my team will be doing all the things and I will be checking in But I can't imagine when I first started my business, like in 2007, being able to do something like that, like 2005 to 2007, being able to do something like that, or even during the pandemic when, you know, business shifted, I think for everyone, I was working crazy hours to try to save my organization and try to make the pivot like so many of us. But I would encourage you to write out all the things that you're doing as a solopreneur and ask yourself, like do it in 30 minute increments and then go back after a couple of days and say, is this something that only I can do? Or is this something that I can delegate to someone else? And that will help you craft your plan to decide if you're hiring somebody and what their job is going to look like. Because the first thing we need to do is take some things off our plate so that we can breathe and then be able to plan and prioritize the organizations for growth. Yeah. Can you talk us through a little bit more specifically, like if you're creating a new role, whether that's the first hire for the business or something else coming off of your solo entrepreneur's plate, how do you write out that job description? What are the must-haves do you have determined before you start the hiring process? I'm assuming that you're like, oh my gosh, I have too much to do. I can't breathe and I'm working crazy hours. So if you go through your prioritization and kind of look at where you can get a little room and you determine, for example, for me having a digital business, I realized that I can't be doing graphic design all the time or responding to emails or doing certain things in my business, posting on social media. So based on that 30 minute assessment or the the incremental assessment that I did over a couple of days, I said, oh, I need a virtual assistant or I need an office manager to help me with invoicing. That's what I determined from that assessment. And so I take that list of things that I'm like, yes, I can have somebody do this. I am not the only person who has to do this. And then I can create a role from that. One thing for you to think about is the job description. It's really important for you to identify what this person is going to be doing because they need that information to decide if the job is right for them. And then for you to sort of put together a plan of expectations for that person on what they're going to be doing, any training that they're going to be needing, if there's metrics or goals that they need to be having in their job. I have a nice job posting and job description template over on Workology. If you want to go over there and just put it into search and and you can grab that information, it will kind of give you a guideline and you can take the template, pop in your information and then use it to post your job. And I would encourage you to have that even if it's just on your blog. It's like here I'm hiring for a virtual assistant or an office manager. You can have those things and and post it there so they can at least look at the posting and then make the decision to apply. How does the the job posting itself influence the types of candidates that you're going to attract? And what what are some of the elements that maybe have a greater influence than others? So 
a job posting is basically just like a blog post, really. It's a searchable piece of content. And people go to the internet, job boards, things called job aggregators, which pull job postings from lots of different places and allow candidates to be able to search. So you do want to make sure it's optimized for search engine optimization if possible. So that means avoid using terms that are just maybe specific to your organization and like the title of the job, make sure to put the location if there is one, if you're based like I am in Austin, Texas, put that in because candidates will search in Google for digital marketer in Austin, Texas. And then your job will pop up potentially in Google Jobs. Google has a whole search algorithm and things where they can find. If this is your first hire, like I said, Facebook groups are really good. Even just posting on your blog to let them know that you're hiring for that. If you have a blog, I'm going to assume that you do. And then send that out to your network. So posting your opening on LinkedIn, even if it's just a status update, people are looking for that information. And I also like to send my posting to maybe 10 people that I'm connected with that I feel like are networking and if and ask them if they would be able to share it out there. So just think about your job posting. It's an attraction tool, just like any type of digital marketing would be. It, this one is just specifically for candidates. This is going to bring us to a section of our show we call our Fan Blitz questions. These questions come from our YouTube community. You can go find Upflip on YouTube and post questions to future podcast guests for these. Jessica, we're just trying to we're going to try and get through about 5 questions in about 2 minutes, so we're going to we're going to blitz our way through this. Here we go. Kitty Kondratyuk is asking, what are some good interview questions to ask when looking for qualified individuals with good character? I would ask questions related to like a scenario or a situation, maybe where they had to make a hard decision or push back and give feedback to a a manager or somebody on their team. Bart Dems is asking, as a small business grows, how do you identify qualified people for jobs that you don't necessarily understand? And the example that Bart gives is one might understand how production works or sales, but maybe doesn't understand marketing or even creating an in-house HR department. I am totally with you because I am technical, but not super technical. And we've been adding new technical positions as I have an app and various things now for Workology. So I would talk to somebody in your network or community. Networking is really important. I'm in a mastermind. And so normally I would just ask like, hey, does anybody have this type of person? Do you have a job posting that I can take a look at? Marge is asking how to look at a resume and know that you're hiring quality employees. I like to look at their experience. Does it is it in alignment? Sometimes you don't know. Maybe it's just a very well-crafted resume. That's why a phone interview or some sort of screening call before you bring them in and spend an extended period of time is really important. I I just like to look at like what their last job is. Are they focused on achievements? See if anything pops. Sometimes the people that have the most non-traditional backgrounds tend to be the the best for your organization, especially when you're a small business. Ing Onyema is asking, how to determine dependability and trustworthiness? Ask them. That would be like, tell me about a time when you exceeded a manager's expectations in, in terms of, you know, being dependable. Something like that could work for you. Also, if they show up to your interview on time and if you have a couple of them, then uh, they or they're responsive on text messaging, they're probably more reliable than others. That is going to do it for our Fan Blitz questions. Again, these come from our YouTube community. Go over to YouTube, find Upflip, join the community, and post questions to future podcast guests. Jessica, in the application process, is there certain information that should always be collected and 
how much of the information that you need varies from role to and industry? So I would say there's definitely some information that there's standard information uh, with an application that you you do want to make sure that you ask. And that is more for verification purposes for future. So if this person does ultimately get hired, you're going to need things like their date of birth, their social security number, and those kind of pieces of information. This is, again, why I like using an applicant tracking system to help you gather that information, because there's also things that you can't ask on the application. Might be like, do you own a car? Or um, what's your driver's license number? Like Things like that are kind of frowned upon, because you can ask back to illegal interview questions, you can't ask, do you have a car? That's not necessarily the right question. The right question is, do you have reliable transportation to get to work? Same with asking if you're eligible to work in the United States versus do you have a visa and need to be sponsored? So I like the idea of using an online applicant tracking system. The one that I use uh, for small business, and it's my favorite, um, one of my friends is the founder, it's called Viva HR, V-I-V-A-H-R. And not only does uh, it help you post to some of the job boards that I've talked about today, but it will also collect that candidate information so that when you do decide to hire someone, you can work with your human resources information system, which is going to make sure that you're collecting the right information once they go from candidate to actually hire for your I-9 and your tax purposes, things like that. So with Viva as that recommendation for an applicant tracking software, what other hiring tools or software do you use or recommend? ADP is a popular one for small businesses. It depends on if you also need payroll in various activities. So Gusto is another one that I think is really popular in the tech space. Just Works, I saw that the other day when I was at a networking event for Austin. They were advertising on the uh, bikes along South Congress. So that one is another one. I have not used Just Works, but I thought it was kind of smart for their marketing. So they seem to, to really cater to the small tech startup community. Are there any steps of the hiring process where where automation is particularly useful? And what are the pros and cons of using automation during the hiring process? If it's just you and you're hiring for one or two people, I really don't think we need a lot of automation, right? But if you're making a lot of hires, maybe five or more, you might want to look at doing some automation. And applicant tracking systems normally have those things in. And that could be just simply like, a thank you for applying email or a message to remind them about their interview if it's scheduled. If you have like a frequently asked questions document, maybe you get a lot of candidate questions about the same things. You could actually make content to send to people prior to their interview that helps answer some of those questions. I personally like that because I'm a researcher in advance and it helps people decide if the job is not for them, which is a good thing too, because then again, you're not wasting your time. I Back in the day, I used to do these informational videos where while the candidate, this is in person, was waiting to meet with the hiring manager, they would just walk, watch a quick 10 minute video that we had made just about the job. And the best thing that could happen is when people left before the interview, because that meant that it wasn't the right opportunity for them. And I was okay with that. I want to kind of dive into looking at resumes a little bit deeper here. And I want to start with what are you looking for in a resume for like an entry level role? You know, obviously not going to have a ton of experience there. It's an entry level position. So what are some of the signs of a potential great hire? A number one is an actual resume that is 
complete and has some work experience and is, and I hate to be like the grammar police, but free of spelling mistakes because it shows that there was some attention to detail there. If they don't have a lot of like education or work experience, I think volunteer experience is really important and maybe other activities that they're being involved in. For example, my 13 year old, amazing editor on video, right? So looking at her YouTube or um, her TikTok, you would be able to see those things. And so it means that as the hiring manager, as the owner, you might have to do some additional research, but candidates don't always think like that. And frankly, it's good that they don't sometimes because then you can snag really great people because most people aren't going to go to the extra mile to Google to see what's going on on their YouTube or their TikTok to look at maybe their experience if you're if you're looking for, for different skills. Personally, for me as an entrepreneur, I like to look for people with, with the background of maybe entrepreneurialism or some skill in the digital training space. So we're all about designing content and things. So if they've had a podcast, even though it might be about serial killers, that sounds like they might be a good fit for me if I'm looking for a podcast producer or maybe a marketing person to help me with developing content. You just have to be a little bit out of the box. Mm. And then what about if you're hiring somebody into a leadership role? How do you look at their application to determine if they're going to be a great manager or leader for your organization? It's great if they have led a team before and they have some notes or bullets on that application. But for those, I'd like to talk to them in person or uh, virtually over for like a phone or video interview. I will tell you that in my personal experience, I have found that if you're in the restaurant hospitality space and you have been a manager, it's probably somebody I want to talk to because those individuals think on their feet, they know how to work through problems and they're all flexible and nimble. So you're constantly learning and evolving. So I would take somebody like that over somebody who had no work experience that had a degree because as a manager, so much of, I think the job is troubleshooting and handling situations to keep it out of my inbox or my Slack as a manager owner. So I want a problem solver who has good rapport with the team that will help them help themselves and hold them accountable. And then the flip side of both of these questions would be, what are some resume or application red flags that hiring teams should be looking out for? Spelling errors. Those are big. Lots of job hopping. That one, I... I mean, I have been someone who's moved from jobs. As an entrepreneur, I now understand that's because I wasn't challenged. Like I finished this project and I was ready to move on. So if you're concerned about those things, don't hire people who leave, you know, every six months uh, for a new opportunity. Yes, they might look great because they've been at Salesforce and they've been at all these big names, but six months at a place like that is not enough to really have done a whole lot of anything when you're looking at large company versus small company. Six months for you and I as a small business, that's a completely different animal altogether. You can make a huge impact in six months. And then maybe you're like, hey, we ran out of things to do. I'm moving on to the next thing. So I like to see some sort of experience in terms of like training or development. So even if they've taken a class on Udemy, to me, that says, hey, they're interested in growth, which is really important and self-learning and development, which is really important when you're in a small business. Now, expanding out a scenario here for you, uh, a company's had a job posted for weeks, but is it either isn't getting applicants or the right kind of applicants. What should they do to identify and fix that issue? 
I will pull the job posting and make some updates to it. Be honest, maybe research some competition to see what people are paying. It's normally compensation or you have the wrong keywords in the posting. The thing I will say that sometimes too, there are so many jobs that are being posted. So you might consider reposting that job two weeks to 30 days after it's posted. So it's at the top of the search. It's not like SEO in this way where the best content wins. Job posting is not necessarily always SEO optimized for like long term uh, links, but whatever's at the top of the search. So it means that you might have to repost the job and repay for it. If you're not getting applicants, that would be option two. I would look at payment and then keywords first, and then repost. And then maybe leverage some additional resources like the Facebook groups I talked about, or post a job, uh, tell, post a video on TikTok that says you're hiring. I'm sure if you have a marketing person, they would love to have something on TikTok uh, that would be different for them to post, to mix it up. And then once you, once you do kind of get that candidate pool and you get to this interview process, what are you hoping to learn about a candidate during the interview process that you can't learn from a resume or application? Well, if I am doing a uh, phone or video interview, I want to see if they're going to be on time. Do they communicate well? If I'm hiring somebody that is going to be using technology, let's say graphic designer or something, I want to make sure that they can actually log into Zoom and have a conversation and uh, things are going to go well. I think the in-person interview or maybe the more thorough interview, that's when you're going to be more detailed in in your thought process and ask them about maybe a situation. Uh, One of the things that I've liked to do is overwhelm them because I do, I want them and this sounds bad, but I want them to drop out of the application process before they actually come to the job and are there for 60 days. So I have in the past when I've hired for like project managers, I would put a list on a dry erase board of all the technologies and tools for my business that I've logged into in the last two weeks and see how do they feel about that? Sometimes it's not for them. And I would rather them tell me that now than 60 days, 90 days, 120 days into the job. So sometimes it's not about seeing if they're qualified. It's letting them make the decision Uh, because this interview is just as much about you making sure that they're fit with you as it is for them. And we forget that sometimes. Can you share two or three of your favorite interview questions and how each one maybe helps you identify some of those things in candidates? I wish the question was, can you pick interview questions that you don't like? But yes, I will <laughs> answer. I will answer this one. Uh, I just, I like to say, like, tell me about a time when you handled a situation where you and your team were overwhelmed. I like to do tell me about the time uh, types of questions. One interview that I question I wouldn't say is like, if you could describe one word to best describe you, what would that be? Or like the manhole question that Google asks, those those tell me nothing. So if you are looking for something, you know, tell me about a time you had little or no direction and uh, were able to exceed a goal or an expectation set for you. Uh, as long as they're relevant to the type of role that you are hiring for, I like to hear their stories. And I think that's the most important. This interview process is not about you. It's about them sharing. The more information you get from them, the better you are, you can feel about making a decision whether they're a good fit for you or not. What are some of the other questions that you you maybe think are 
not useful interview questions that are maybe pervasive in the interview process? Oftentimes, the interviewer is more about themselves than the candidate. So a lot of times it's one-sided where they're just talking the whole time. So my approach when I'm interviewing is to be super friendly. Like I want to be their friend because my whole goal, as I've said, is for them to decide it's not the job for them or they will disclose something to me because they get comfortable. When you have like nerves, you tend to be on your guard and you're putting your best self forward. This is the interview after all. But if you feel comfortable with the person, they might tell you something that they normally wouldn't. And my background is a lot in retail HR. So I wanted them to see me as their friend. So they would say, hey, I'm really only going to be here for 60 days. And those are the kind of things that I've gotten in interviews sometime. One time I had a delivery truck driver that told me it was, again, he felt like it was against his constitutional right to wear a seatbelt. Well, that's a requirement of the job uh, for safety. So I moved past that candidate. But if I hadn't have spent time building rapport and asking questions and making them feel welcome, I don't think I would have got that answer. And until that point, he was my top candidate for that position. How does a, a remote hiring process differ from an in-person one? Like, are you still are you still able to build the same kind of rapport? And what are some some best practices for remote hiring? So I will say that most of my team is remote and they're autonomous. In fact, there's a large percentage of my team that I haven't actually met in person, and I don't know if I ever will. And uh, that's okay. Like, we are able to work really well together. I do think that you can do everything virtually. You just have to be really clear with your expectations. So I like to use the tools that we use, which for us is Zoom primarily. And then I will talk to them about a virtual role and what the expectations are. For us, again, mostly autonomous. Uh, They have one to two meetings that they need to be a week present for. The rest of the time, I don't really care when they work. As long as I have a general idea of what's going on, that's fine. I think if you help your hiring experience mirror what the actual job experience is, you're going to get better people. I'm also really direct. If I'm hiring uh, for a salesperson and it's virtual, I'm going to send them some materials in advance. Maybe I'll send them a copy of our media kit so they can ask some questions about what they're getting into and what they're going to be selling. Uh, Those kind of things are important because I want to get their reaction because we are a, a niche space in the human resources training and development space that a lot of people don't understand. And I've been in here 20 years. It is an industry that I understand, but uh, it's not one that a lot of people can just walk into and ex- excel in. Before we before we kind of move on from the interview section of this interview, I, I just want to ask if there are any other best practices that we haven't touched on yet that people should know about. I th- just think planning is really important. So before you actually decide to hire, taking time to write out your job description, job posting, what the experience is going to look like, the tools that you're going to use. So not just waiting until the 11th hour and saying, hey, I'm hiring. Uh, you also do want to make sure you, if you're going to be paying them as a, a regular employee, that you have those things set up on the administrative side for you, what your benefits package is and those kind of things so that when you work through the process and actually extend an offer, you have an offer letter. It looks like you're a legit grown-up company because it makes them feel a lot better and we want them to feel comfortable in the opening so that they stop interviewing other places. So that's what I would leave you with, especially when you're a small business, you might not have had those things before. This is where a mastermind or a resource or an attorney can be really helpful to get you those things together. So you have them. And then when the moment comes that you want to extend a job offer to someone, you already have everything in place. 
And aside from from resumes and interviews, are there other tools or strategies that someone could use to identify top candidates? I mean, I like networking to build relationships. I think that that's really key. Communities are so important when you're a small business or an, an entrepreneur. So if you need something, ask. And I have a mastermind that I'm in and it has changed my business. And I have a community of people that I can connect with and ask questions who understand me. They go through the same things because when you work for yourself or a small business, most people don't understand what you do and they don't know what you go through every day. So I would say community is key and connecting with like-minded people so that you can have access to more heads are better than one, uh, just more people with, with more resources. In your opinion, what's the ideal length for a job search from from job posting to offer extended? Um, and what tips do you have for reducing the time to to get the hiring process underway and complete? Under 30 days, realistically. I mean, that's from the offer extended. That person's going to probably have to give two weeks. And honestly, you might have somebody give two weeks and then change their mind or they go to somewhere maybe they get another offer and they don't actually start with you. So the faster you move, the better. This is why you should have all your ducks in a row and your things together. So don't plan on hiring if you're going to go on vacation for three weeks directly in the middle of it. If you are, you better already have that person lined up and, and ready to go. But it needs to, it really needs to be 30 days or less. And there's also been a growing concern in recent years about candidate fraud. Have you encountered that in any of your work? And what can a company do to protect themselves against fraudulent candidates? So uh, I'm working on a story right now about candidate fraud with offshore people impersonating others. So I'm knee deep in all this research on this. And I just find it super fascinating, not surprising, but super fascinating. So I think that a background check is really critical here for you in doing a background check and or a drug test or something, depending upon if they're going to be driving your car equipment or something like that. Uh, But a background check is a great way to make sure that they are who they say they are. References are also good too, because that way you can call to make sure if somebody was trying to be someone else or pretend to be someone that they weren't, like one of these offshore agencies where they tend to work for you and one person represents and then the the machine of of talent uh, does all those things, references and things are going to be harder to fake than that. Uh, the other thing I would just verify the person's information. A lot of these agencies that are doing this, this offshore, they will come up with an email address that's fairly similar, but like one character off. So check for the small details. And if something feels weird, move on. There are good candidates out there. Maybe you just go to GitHub and search for candidates on your own and and do some outreach there or offer a referral bonus to a few people. I've given away gift cards to Apple or Google Play or something like that in exchange for referrals for candidates that I've ultimately hired uh, to my network. And you can do something like that too. And how do you see hiring changing over the next five to 10 years? And what should HR teams be doing now to prepare for those changes? It's more automated. It's more technology focused and and heavy. I think what we're experiencing with the candidate fraud is going to continue, especially with people being able to be remote. I also think that while a lot of businesses want us to go back to in-person, 
I really don't think the candidates want that. I would much rather be working from the beach and doing my job than having to drive into the office. And candidates feel that same way too. So it's going to be more global, global talent. So you might just be attracting talent or working in Omaha, Nebraska, but in five years, 10 years, it's going to be even more global than it that was before. Maybe you might be working in Pakistan on a daily basis or Israel or New Zealand. It's really the opportunities are endless and our people are going to be in different places too. If there was one thing that you hope people take away from our conversation today, what would it be? I think the basics. Uh, job description, get some training in uh, manager, illegal interview questions, things like that, and shore up your process so that it can be fast and you don't miss out on good people because talent are what drives our businesses. And as business owners, uh, lets us be able to step into our passion, what we're really great at. And I want us to enjoy the work more because uh, it's truly a gift to be an entrepreneur. And what is your favorite business book and why? Oh, man, I even knew this question was coming. So Chris Voss, his book is my absolute favorite. I recommend it to everyone. It's called Never Split the Difference. He is a hostage negotiator. The book has changed my life and how I talk to my family, how I talk to my spouse, how I negotiate with everyone and even in communication with employees. So pick it up, take notes, bring your note cards, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I love that book as well. Where can people find out more about you and Workology? Reallyeasyworkology.com is the destination for all things related to training for human resources and recruitment. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. Just a reminder to our listeners that you can find more actionable insights on our blog, upflip.com slash blog, or check out interviews with other business owners on our YouTube channel or earlier in this podcast feed. And there are links to both in the resources section below. Jessica Miller-Merrill of Workology, thank you so much for joining us this week. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 